Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. Been a good week, hasn't it? How many got plenty to eat this week? So if I talk about you, talk to you about food, you're not going to really enjoy it that much. So I won't. <laughs> Ryan's always ready for more. Praise the Lord. Father, we're just so thankful. We're so thankful, Lord God, for all that you've done, all that we know you're going to do. And so, Lord, we just ask you, Father, to just touch our hearts today, Lord. Make us hungry for the things that really matter. Make us hungry for the bread that if we eat of it, Lord, we'll never hunger nor ever thirst again because it's always readily available. And Lord, we just thank you for the bread of life, the word of God that quenches our spirit, quenches our soul, and satisfies the longing inside of us, Lord God. You're so gracious, you're so good. Lord, we bless you in Jesus' name, amen. But I want to question, I have a question for you this morning. What is it that motivates you? What is it that makes you want to get out of bed in the morning? You ever thought about that? What is it that makes you want to get out of bed in the morning? Sometimes there's nothing really to get out of bed for. You know, we just kind of want to hang in there and squeeze every bit of the life we can out of our pillow or our sheets or whatever. I asked someone one time, I said, uh, do you have a church home? They said, yes, I do. I said, where is it? They said, well, we're down at Bedside Assembly. We fellowship with Brother Pill and Sister Sheets. But I pray that we've got more to live for than just that. And we do. What is it that motivates you? What is your, what is the top of the list of things that motivate you? Some people are motivated by money. I mean, anything to make a nickel. I mean, they'll, they'll squeeze the life out of a penny. Someone asked uh, John D. Rockefeller one time, said, Mr. Rockefeller, you got all this money. You got all the money you could ever want, more than you could ever spend in a lifetime. How much more is it going to take for you to be happy? He said, just one more dollar. Because that's what he lived his life for. He lived his life for wealth. And he obtained it. But I wonder what the condition of his soul was and where he will spend eternity and what good all those riches did him. After all that he had attained in this life and all that he had sought after. Some people seek notoriety. They want to be known for something. Some people do crazy stuff. They're motivated just to be seen, just to to have their name in the newspaper or whatever. I mean, people do ridiculous stuff. They do all kinds of stunts and things just just so they can have that moment, that 15 seconds of, of, of 15 minutes of fame. You notice anybody like that, but, but what, what does that get, get them? So for others, it's a position or a reward. I've had people to come to me before, and, and they, they're not really looking to serve. They're looking for a position. And the first question they ask when they're looking for a position is, how much authority will I have? You know, 
not what can I do to serve or how can I make things better for, for whatever you're doing or the organization or for the kingdom or whatever. It's, it's what's in it for me, basically looking for a position. That's the motivation for that. And, and we become ambitious for different things. And, and, and what is the word ambition? What does it mean? Well, it means a particular goal or aim. That's what ambition is. What are we after? Some people seek to be the best basketball player in the world or whatever. You know, one of my friends told me one time, he says, uh, I, he was only five foot six, but he said he played, he played center in high school on the basketball team. I said, you played center? He said, yeah, until the coach found out a lot about my height and I got kicked off the team. So, but he was ambitious. He was, he was longing to do something. And, and we can do all kinds of things. We're ambitious enough, right? We see undersized people playing in, in, the, in the NBA. I remember, how many remember Muggsy Bogues? He was a terrific ball player. I mean, the guys that were seven foot taller and taller, they, they feared Muggsy Bogues because he would steal the ball out from under them. He was a terrific ball player. I always enjoyed watching him play, but he was ambitious enough that he had a goal in mind and he set out to do it and he accomplished that goal. But for us as children of God, what should be our number one goal or ambition? Well, I have something to present to you this morning that Jesus' goal in life was to what? He came to do the will of the Father. He came to do what his Father had sent him to do. That was his goal in life, was to fulfill that goal. And he wouldn't let nothing stop him. Remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was on his knees and he was praying? And he said he prayed in agony. When you pray in agony, boy, it means something is heavy on your heart. And he prayed with such agony and such intensity that his sweat became like great drops of blood, it says. I don't know if you've ever prayed that hard so that, that, that the intensity of your body, the capillaries begin to break and you begin to sweat blood. That's what Jesus did. Because he knew what was before him. He knew what was coming and he knew what his destiny was, yet he would let nothing deter him. And he prayed and he asked this question of the father. He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. He knew that the Father's will was imperative, that, it, that he came for a reason and a purpose, and his, his, his destiny and his ambition was to fulfill the purpose that God sent him here for. What is your goal? What is your ambition? What will you offer unto the Lord? When we stand before the Lord on judgment day, we are going to give unto the Lord something. That something will be something or nothing. When we stand before him, we will have to give an account for everything we've done in life, all of our ambitions, all of the goals, all the things that we attain. It won't matter whether we had that $100 million bank account. It won't matter if we got all of our kids through college. It won't matter for anything except what we can offer unto him. What is he after? Let me tell you what he's after. Your heart. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. 
And Jesus said, if you do this, then that gives you the ability to fulfill the second commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a tall order. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, because everything that we do is unto the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 says, Whatever work heartily as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord. Work heartily to the Lord. Give everything you got to him, not rather than for men. That word heartily means soulfully. Means with your 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 thoughts and your intentions toward the Lord. How many have ever had to do something you didn't really want to do, but you knew that in order to please those who had authority over you, you had to do it, and so you chose rather than to do it for them because you didn't want to do it, you chose to do it for the Lord. It makes it a whole lot easier, doesn't it? Yeah, I've been there more than once. I think the Lord sent me through that school for a long period of time. You know, some of us are hard-headed, and it takes longer for us to get it than it does for others. <laughs> I, I was blessed to work for Duke Power Company, and I thank God for that. It was, it was a wonderful experience. But for four years of that, of that experience, it was spent doing the most menial labor that you can imagine. I was what they call a utility guy. I worked on utility. You know what utility is, don't you? It means you get to do the jobs that nobody else wants to do. Empty the trash, sweep the floors, dig the ditches, clean up the tobacco spit, crawl through places the rat wouldn't go, do all of these things. And when I first started doing it, you know, I thought, God, I'm here and I'm a minister of the gospel. And I know you love me, but why this? Why this? Why do I have to do this? You know, and I prayed to get out of there. I prayed. My wife would tell you, I'd come home. I quit a million times. Man, I would come home, my, toes, my clothes all dirty and torn up and everything else. I mean, I looked like a dog had gotten a hold of me, played with me for 10 hours and kicked me out of the lot. I mean, it was bad. And I'd come home and I'd tell my wife, oh, I just can't take this anymore. But she's like, honey, you got to keep working because we got to eat. We need you. We need you to hang in there. And so after a while, I made a determination and I read this passage of scripture and it, and it hit me. Whatever you do, do you work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And so I began to change the way that I thought, and I thought, Lord, I'll do this for you. I'll do it for you. And, and, and to make matters worse, the Lord put me with, and God did this. Man didn't do it. But the Lord put me with a man who hated my guts because I was a Christian. Simply no other reason. Because I wouldn't play the, with the, I wouldn't do the reindeer games. I wouldn't do what everybody else was doing. I just, you know, they would sit around and tell dirty jokes and everything. And sometimes they would tell them to me just to see what kind of response I would give. Anybody ever been there? You know, with people just trying their best to get a rise out of you. They'd do crazy stuff, you know, play jokes, do all kinds of things just to see what kind. And, and I would love to stand up here to tell you that it never got to me, but I can't because I'm human. I know what I'm talking about. But I remember one particular instance I was, 
I, I love to play chess, and we had a chess board that we, we would play during break and stuff. And so myself and another guy were sitting playing chess. And this one guy was sitting at the other end of the table. He takes the table, and he does this. And so the chess pieces just go all over the place. And I just kind of looked up at him. I set the pieces back up. And we started playing again, and he jumps up and hits the table, bumps the chest, you know. And, and he knew that it was really starting to get on my nerves because I'm an intense kind of guy, competitive. And when you're playing chess, it's not a time to be monkeyed with. You know what I'm saying? And I remember I looked up at him and I said, and I said, and I won't call his name, but I said, if you don't stop, he looked at me and he says, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to pray for you. And sure enough, we set the pieces up, and he bumped the table. And, and I got up, and I went around. And in front of God and everybody, I just put my hands on his shoulders. I think he thought I was going to choke him, but I just placed my hands gently on his shoulders. And I began to pray blessings over him. I just prayed that God would bless him, would bless his family, that God would prosper him, doing good and all these things. And I just prayed for him, prayed that God would save his soul and all of these things. And then I went back down and sat down, and he looked up at me, and he says, thanks, man. And you know what? It totally disarmed him because he never, ever did that again. But what it did was it opened up opportunities for me to be able to share with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because as we do things unto the Lord rather than for men, God can begin to change our situations. And I remember we had a pecan tree in our yard. We had seven of them, as a matter of fact. My kids to this day's hate pecans because we had to pick them up. They don't like picking them up. But we picked up pecans and, and we picked up pecans. And, we, and, and just as soon as you think you're done picking up pecans, the wind will blow. And you got more pecans. But we were blessed one year with over 300 pounds of pecans. And, and the Lord, you know, just... I, 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 st- I started taking them to work and selling them, which is cool. I got a dollar a pound for unshelled pecans. But I remember my, my, my boss man, my supervisor that hated my guts, I remember taking him a big, gigantic bag of pecans. And I, I, I actually sat down and shelled about three pounds of them. And I put them in the bag, and I took him the rest of the bag full of pecans. And I brought him in, and I set them down right in front of him. I said, Merry Christmas. I went over and I sat down at the other end of the table and he looked at me and he says, who are these for? I said, they're for you. Why? I said, because I just wanted to give you something for Christmas. He's like, what do you want? I don't want anything. I just wanted to bless you. I just wanted you to know that, that we love you and we're praying for you and Merry Christmas. And his attitude changed toward me greatly from that point on. But what I'm saying is that once we begin to change our thought press processes and we begin to th- put things in proper perspective and we start doing things as unto the Lord, whether we like it or not, some things you just don't like doing. Anybody ever done anything you didn't like doing, but you did it because, because you knew that need to be done. And there are things that, that I don't like to do. I despise painting. Anybody been around me long enough to know that I hate painting? Look around you. There's a lot of painting here. And I thank God for people like Mike Nybert that love to paint. 
Mike did a lot of this painting in here. I, he, he did a, a wonderful job. But there's, there's, a, there's a lot of my handiwork in here too. And, and the reason we did it is not because I love doing it, but as we did it, I did it as unto the Lord, and it made a difference. You, you find out you don't like it. You, you like it better than you thought you did once you start doing it as unto him. Because you find out it's pleasing unto the Lord. And so we work heartily as unto him. And, and we do it from the soul or from our, our mind, our resources. Because, verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now, are we working for our inheritance? No. But we are laying up rewards in heaven. A lot of things depend on our attitude. Jesus, in one of his last actions, one of the last things he did with his disciples before he was crucified was at the Last Supper. Remember, the Last Supper means that that's the last time they ate together. At the Last Supper, when they had finished eating, Jesus takes off his outer garments and he wraps a towel around himself and he takes a basin of water and he gets down and he starts washing his disciples' feet. Now, why was he doing that? He was teaching them something. What was it? He was teaching them humility. What else was he teaching them? Servanthood. He was teaching them to serve. And he had two disciples that were happened to be brothers John, and who was the other brother? Andrew, the two fisher boys, the fishermen. And, and they, were, they were asking Jesus a question one day, and they were sent there by mom. Mom wanted to make sure that her sons were going to be taken care of since they'd invested so much in Jesus' ministry. And so mom sends them, and one time it says in one of, the, one of the gospels that she came herself and asked Jesus a question. And she says, when you come into your kingdom... Would, it, would you allow one of my boys to sit on one side of you and one to sit on the other? And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking, woman. He said, that's not my place to give. That's the Father's place. But he said, you know, I, I can't do that. And then a little bit later on, the other disciples who had overheard the conversation got really put out by this. And so Jesus, after hearing all the bickering and the arguing and everything, he just says, stop, stop, stop. Here, here, here it is. Here's the thing. One thing you've got to learn about the kingdom of God, the economy of the kingdom of God is different than it is here. It's not based on ambition. It's not based upon what you want. It's not based upon what's best for you. It's based upon this. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, here's what you got to do. What do you think that might be? You got to learn to serve one another. You got to learn to serve one another. That's, that's what makes you great in the kingdom of God, is to learn to serve. Do it as unto the Lord. No matter what it is, whatever you can do, do it as unto the Lord. Learn to serve. And once you learn that, it becomes something that you look forward to. I love to serve other people. That's what keeps my juices going. I love it. I, I, because I've had to learn, learn that. It's not something that came easy, but it's something that I've had to learn over time. I've been doing this for 40 years, so it didn't come easy. At the beginning, I was one of those guys who was looking for a position. 
You know, I thought it would be cool to be a youth pastor, you know, to be a full-time youth pastor until I were one. And it's still cool, and it's still great, but for different reasons than I thought it would be. It was great to see the lives of young people change. It was great to see what God was doing in them. It was great to be able to serve them. But I found out there was a lot of messes that had to be taken care of. The thing about babies in the kingdom of God is just like babies anywhere else. They make all kinds of messes, if you know what I mean. You got all kinds of poopy diapers to change all the time. You got situations and and things that you have to handle all the time. And if if you try to do it in the natural, it will drive you stark raving mad. My wife will tell you there were probably, I don't know, how many times did I quit? Every Monday, yeah. 22 years of youth ministry, and every Monday I quit. Because it's, it's, it's not easy. Jesus didn't find it easy either. But he knew the goal that was set before him. He knew what the end result was, and he knew that it was absolutely worth it. And whatever God calls you to do, I want you to understand as you do it unto the Lord, understand this, it's worth it. It's worth it. Some of our friends, they're not with us this morning, but they've been here many times. And several weeks ago, we ordained Tim, Tim Lynch. Tim leaves this Thursday going to India. And, um, or this Wednesday, rather, going to India. And, and he wrote this beautiful piece last night on Facebook about one of their experiences while they were in India. And, and I understand, you know, their heart and, and, and the call of God upon them and why they're going back to India. A lot of people are like, why do you want to go back to India? It's not because the cost of living is cheap or anything else. It's because God has put it in their heart. They have a love for the people of India. They've been there. They've seen it. And, and, and someone has called, uh, been called alongside to help them to go. And they're going to establish orphanages and ministries to the widows there in India. That's what they're going for, to the least of these. But when they went to India, God just opened up their hearts for service to people that were the outcasts, that were, were the thrown away people. And, and I don't know if you know anything about the case society that they have in India, but, but over there, humans only have dignity and worth if they can produce for society. And a lot of families, especially the poorest of the poor, when they have children especially if they are a girl, it is totally legal and is actually encouraged for them to take that child out on the streets, throw them out on the streets, and let them die. Those are some of the people that Tim and Paris are going to be ministering to. Why do they do it? Because they're doing it as unto the Lord. They're doing it because that's what God would have them to do because Jesus loves those babies. Jesus loves those widow women who, who've been totally left alone. Maybe they've been cast out and maybe divorced just for no reason or whatsoever. So they become a widow or, or, or their husband has died or for whatever reason they're left alone. And they have no income. They have no resources. God is sending Tim and Paris to minister to them. 
This world is full of that kind of of those kind of people. We have them here in the United States of America that need to be touched with the love and, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to do it as unto the Lord, not for ourselves, not for selfish means, but because it pleases God. The book of Daniel, we see Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because that was their Chaldean names. Their names were changed when they were brought from Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar had invaded, the Babylonians had invaded Jerusalem and they, 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 they just basically took everything out of the city and they brought the best of the best back to Babylonia. And there they, became, they were put into the service of the king and the first thing they did to them was they, they made them eunuchs so that they could not reproduce and therefore become a threat to the, to the throne. And once they were made eunuchs, they were brought into the presence of the king after a time of preparation. And so Daniel and his three Hebrew friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were brought before the king. And I like what it says about them. They were described this way in Daniel chapter 1, verse 4. It said, They were used in whom was no defect who were very good looking, showing intelligence and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's courts. Notice that one word, who had ability for serving in the king's court. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have developed an attitude, which would have probably cost them their lives if they did, but they knew better. But they knew this, that whatever condition they found themselves in, that they should serve. Now, did that mean that they had to fudge on the principles? No. First thing Daniel did was he looked at what they were trying to offer them to eat. And he asked permission. He didn't defy the king or those who had been placed over him. But he said to them, look. We prefer not to eat the king's meat or drink his wines or any of those things. But if you would allow us to, if we could only eat vegetables and water. And he said, well, the, the, the servant of the king said to them, well, if I do this, then the king's liable to have my head. And they said, well, let's, let's just do a little experiment. For six months, if you will just let us eat just vegetables and water, then check our condition after that. Then if, if, if we are an endangerment to you or if we were becoming sick or whatever, then, you know, we'll, we'll make another decision. So after six months, what happened? They were in better shape than their comrades. They, they were healthier and fatter than all the other king's servants. They never had to fudge on the principles. They never had to, to defy God in order to serve the king, did they? Now, there came a point where they had to make a decision. We know where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there was an, an idol that the king set up to himself. And he said, at a certain time, we're gonna, we're gonna, the band's going to strike up and, and we're going to blow the trumpets, the timbrels, and everything else. You know, you're going to hear all this music. And when you do, everybody is to bow down and worship this idol that I've set up to myself. And so the day came when they did this, and we know the story of how that 
when the music played and everything, everybody else bowed down and did homage to this idol, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It doesn't mention Daniel. I imagine he didn't either. He might have just been in his room praying. I don't know. But that's what Daniel did all the time. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bend. They would not bow. And because they wouldn't bend, because they wouldn't bow, the king, when he heard about it, he was furious. And he said, I'm going to give you another opportunity. All right? We're going to go this one more time. We're going to go over this one more time. Here's what you do, just so that you're clear. When you hear the sound of the band playing, bow down and worship my idol. And they said, sir, we mean no disrespect, but we will not bow down to your idol. And the king said, well, if you don't, I'm going to throw you into an oven. He said, you're going to be toast, literally. I want to make crispy critters out of you if you don't do what I tell you to do. And they said, well, that's your choice, king. Just so that you'll know, my God is able to deliver us. If we do, if we perish in the fire, we perish in the fire, but we will not bow down to your king. That's making a decision that you are going to live your life, that you're going to serve God only, and you're only going to bow down as unto the Lord. And that's what they decided. Y'all know the story, I'm sure. If you've been in Sunday school any amount of time, you know how it played out. The band played, everybody bowed, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not. And the king became so furious that he not only heated up the furnaces, he had it heated seven times hotter than it ever had been. And even the guys that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego perished when they threw them into the fire. And the king stood back. And what did he observe? He sees them walking in the fire. Except that he doesn't see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sees the fourth person in the fire. He sees the fourth man in the fire. And he recognized him as the son of God. He said, it looks like the son of God is in there with them. And so when they pulled him out of the fire, the clothes were not, the only thing that burned on them were the ropes that held them. There was not a, no smell on the clothes of the, of the flames or anything else. Miracle, right? Well, God does miracles for us. When we live and we make a declaration in our own heart that we're going to work heartily as unto the Lord, whatever we do in word or deed, we're going to do it as unto him. God is there with us. He's in the middle of what we're doing. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. We never walk alone. He's always the fourth man in the fire. Whatever fire you're going through, he's always there with you. That's good to know, isn't it? When we do it is unto the Lord. This is what they did. And they, they had this spirit inside of them that the king recognized. They had an excellent spirit in them, especially Daniel. It said several times of Daniel, and, and he went through not just Nebuchadnezzar, but he went through Darius, Darius the Mede. There were three kings that he served under. And under all three of them, they all three recognized in Daniel this one thing. There was an excellent spirit in Daniel. A spirit of excellence. God has never called us to mediocrity. He has never called us to mediocrity. Would you say that with me? God has not called me to mediocrity. What that means is God didn't call you to be average. God called you to excel. 
God called you to be excellent. He's exceedingly abundantly able to do above and beyond anything that we can ask or think according to what? The power that's at work in us. So if God's power is at work within us, how is God going to do above average in us? He's going to use us when we operate as unto the Lord. Whatever we do in word or deed, we do it heartily as unto the Lord. Knowing this, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. God is up to, he's always up to something. He's always doing something inside of us. And he never expects us to be average. He expects us to excel. Whatever you do. If, if, if your job is flipping burgers, then if I should come and eat one of the burgers that you're flipping, I would expect it to be the best burger I ever put in my mouth. Because God has not called you to be average. And it all begins here. It all begins inside of us when we choose to excel. You know, I, I'm, y'all excuse me for a minute while I jump on my bandwagon. But I am not one of those who believes that everybody that works at McDonald's is worth $15 an hour. I'm sorry. Some people aren't worth 15 cents an hour. Some people don't even deserve a job. But we act as though we're entitled to something when we get it. We're entitled to nothing. We're to be grateful for everything that we have. Every good and perfect gift comes down from from the Father. So anything that we have, we're to be grateful for it. And if you've got a $5 an hour job, be grateful for it. Because if you are and you have the right attitude, and if you serve well enough, it won't be long that you'll have that $15, $20, $30 an hour job. Now back to the story that I told you about in the beginning when I worked at Duke Power Company. I remember when I'd worked with them for four years. Finally, I transferred out of McGuire down to Catawba Nuclear Station. And I worked another year in utility there. And I'm like, oh, Lord, how long? (laughs) And uh, it was a a part of, of the cleanup on two nuclear jobs for getting them ready for final cleanup and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, Lord, when's this ever going to end? Finally, my break came and the Lord promoted me. I got a job in the warehouse and you would think going to the warehouse that I'd been promoted to the white house. I was so excited. I get to go to the warehouse. Woohoo. People like you're excited about going to the warehouse. Well, if you served in utilities for four years, you bet you better believe it. And you think, well, why would you be excited about that? Well, it gave me an opportunity to prove my worth to the company. And so I worked hard as unto the Lord in the warehouse. Whatever they asked me to do, I didn't, I didn't fuss about anything. Whatever they said to do, I did it. And I tried to do it with excellence. And that gave me opportunity to serve in a lot of different places because, you know, they, they found I wasn't going to fuss if they asked me to go here and to do this or if they asked me to go here and do that or whatever. I just did it. Long story short is because of that, God promoted me into a new position that had opened up in equipment control. And it was an excellent job. I mean, it was great. I remember people stopping by my desk and saying to me, do you actually get paid to do what you do? I'm like, yeah, isn't it great? How did you get that job? 
And I would just have the opportunity to tell them promotion comes from the Lord. God did it. And I could share with them what the Lord had done. It was an awesome job. My wife will tell you that, that when, when I was finally given the opportunity to go into full-time ministry, it was a tough decision. Now, if, they would have, if that opportunity would have come to me four years earlier, I would have jumped on it like, a, like ugly on an ape. I was so ready to be in anything other than what I was doing. And I thought youth ministry would be a way out and it's something better. But when the opportunity came for me to be in youth ministry, it was a tough decision because the job that I had in the secular world all of a sudden was such a great job. I set my own schedule. I could get a car anytime I wanted it and go anywhere within the CMD North area, which was about nine or ten different plants, for any reason. I remember one time they asked me to go to Blues Creek. Anybody ever been to Blues Creek? Anybody know where it's at? Up above Winston-Salem. And they happened to have the tallest smokestack in North Carolina, which is cool because I got to go see it at the top. My job that day was to drive to Blues Creek, get out of the car, climb up to the top of the smokestack, walk out on a, what we called a spider lift. It was one of those cable lift things. Walk out on it, look at the numbers on the side, write it down, get off, go back down, get in the car, come home. That was my job for the day. Sound like a tough job? Well, the toughest part was getting 630 feet up in the air on a cable lift and walk out on that thing with it shaking and do that kind of thing. This, this, what I'm telling you is, and I don't want to go into all the details and stuff. It was a, it was a fantastic job. I got, I got paid to play and all kinds of stuff. So it was cool. But God did it. God did it. Because I made a decision to work heartily as unto the Lord. And when it came time to leave that job, it was one of those situations where I could have turned right around and went right back to it if things didn't work out the way that we thought it should or wanted it to. But I never went back because I knew that God had called me to do what I'm doing now. The thing of it is, God opened those doors because of what took place in my heart. God opens doors when we decide that we're not going to be mediocre, that we're just going to be average. When we choose to excel, when we choose to do what God has called us to do with excellence. So whatever you do in word or deed, do it with excellence. Give it all you got, man. Give it all you got. I remember going to Jamaica the first time that I went, and we were in Sam Sharp Square, and everybody was worshiping. There were about 5,000 people out there, and Jesse Dixon was there. I don't know if Jesse's, Jesse's going home to be with the Lord now. If any of you have ever watched the Bill Gaither things, y'all remember Jesse Dixon. He was a fabulous musician, singer, and he was singing in the square. And I remember I looked over, and there was a little skinny Jamaican guy, and he had a homemade guitar with one string on it. And he's over there giving it all he's got, man. Just, just, just frailing away on that one string. And I thought it was kind of funny for a second, but then the Holy Spirit just said to me, whatever you do in word or deed, do it as unto the Lord. And I thought, man, he's giving everything he's got to Jesus on that one string. I called him one string Willie. 
Man, he was, he was tearing that thing up on that one little string. And you know, sometimes we complain because we don't have the best of everything or we always want this or we always want that. Take what you have. Take what you've got. Take what you've got. Use it as unto the Lord. Give it all to him. Then God will give the increase. God will bring you to that place that he wants you to be. In the book of Philippians, it's, it's probably the most important or most encouraging book in the entire Bible, as far as, especially the New Testament, to me. I mean, it, it starts out with, with these words. Paul, Paul says, he says, I, I, I've been praying for you. He said, I, I, I want you to know that, that I'm excited about what God's doing. And then he says in verse 6, he says, he says, I thank my God in verse three, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my prayer for you in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident, everybody say confident. I am confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will do what? Perfect it. Perfect it until the day of redemption until the day of Jesus Christ. God's working things out in you. He's perfecting things inside of you. And that's what Paul was saying. I'm I'm convinced of this thing. I'm confident that the thing that God has begun in you, he's going to perfect it. He's going to continue to cause you to excel. He's going to continue to promote you. He's going to continue to bring about good things in your life if you will just continue to work with him, if you'll continue to keep your heart in the right place and work as unto the Lord. And, and, and I, like, I like what uh, what it says in First Chronicles. and It offers some helpful suggestions as how to, to live unto the Lord. In First Chronicles 16, it says, Give thanks unto the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Uh, uh, for what? Whatever. Just be thankful. Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make his deeds known among the people. You see, when we're thankful to the Lord and we're gracious for all that God, grateful for all that God has done to us, it speaks to other people. And then in 2 Chronicles 16, 23, it says, Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation. I believe that that says, that's, that's simply saying, live like your saved person. Show forth. His praise day into day until the day of salvation. Let people know that you are a true believer. And Psalm 37, 5 says, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And what is the it that he's talking about there? Anybody know? Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Commit your way unto the Lord, and he shall bring it to pass, whatever that it is. Now, y'all know, you've probably heard that phrase before, but we won't go into that. But whatever it is that God is doing in your life, if you'll commit your way unto the Lord, then God is going to cause the things in your life to come to pass the way that he has determined that they should be. He makes all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what's in store for you. Why? 
Commit your todays, your tomorrows, even your past into the Lord. And, and, and he's got you. He's got a plan for your life. If you trust him, he'll bring it to pass. And it will be better than anything that you could have dreamed up for yourselves. I promise you that. God has, has had to teach me sometimes through the school of hard knocks because I'm not an easy person to learn sometimes. Sometimes I have to see it two or three times to get it. You know what I'm saying? Am I by myself? Y'all know what I'm talking about. So I've had to go through the school of hard knocks and, and, and sometimes had to go around the same mountain a couple of times to get it. And so I decide, well, I'm not going around that mountain again. I, I've learned my lesson. I, I'm going on. And so Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. And this is a sure cure for anxiety. He says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they, they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? And which one of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to your lifespan? Anybody figured that one out yet? And why are you being anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, and they do not toil, nor, nor do they spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do, do so for you, O men of a little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father does what? He knows that you need these things. Don't ever think that God doesn't know what you need. There's no reason for you to be anxious or worried about anything. I've said this before, and just in case you didn't get it, I'll say it again. That today is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday. Think about that. Today is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday. Now, you're here today. Did the world cave in? You're here today, you're all right, aren't you? You're living, you're breathing, you got up, you walked in this morning, or, or you made it here. Verse 33 says, but seek first. Seek first. Now, I, I, I love this. In the Greek, it's the word proton. Everybody say proton. You ever heard of the proton energy pill? Well, here it is. Proton, it means firstly, in time, or place, order, or importance, before or at the beginning, chiefly, at the first, first of all, in other words, first of all, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and do, and all these things, the things that you need shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That word trouble is the same word that's used in John 16, 33. Jesus said to his disciples, 
in this world you shall have tribulation or trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Trouble, the word thlipsis, stress, stress about life, stress about this, stress about that. You know, we, we never use stress in relation to psychology or, 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 or the mind until the 1940s when the psychological community got a hold of this and they discovered that what was happening in the plumbing world was when you put too much pressure on a pipe, guess what? It's going to cause a rupture. If you put too much stress inside the mind, eventually you're going to have a nervous breakdown. And Jesus says, don't have a nervous breakdown. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. Is there anything worth being anxious about? We look at our world around us. We, all, we see all kinds of things happening. And I'm asked the question all the time. Do you believe in pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib? I believe in the trib. I'm kind of pan-trib. I believe that if we trust God, if we walk righteously before him and we walk in faith, then no matter when Jesus comes, if he comes before the tribulation, during the tribulation, or after the tribulation, it's all going to pan out. So we don't have to worry about it. The thing of it is, have our heart right with God and walk in faith unto him as unto the Lord. Live your life as unto the Lord. Walk circumspectly. Walk in unity with him in faith. We walk by faith, not by sight, which brings me to my closing scripture. The Apostle Paul understood what ambition was all about. He was an ambitious fellow. Y'all know that? Well, he was in his secular life before he knew the Lord, before he become, before he knew Christ. He was a religious zealot. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was all of those things. He studied for 14 years under one of the most renowned rabbis, Gamaliel. He had it all as far as the world is concerned. He was an ambitious fellow. But when he met Jesus, and he had that experience on the road to Damascus, and, he, and, and Jesus spoke to him. And says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What was he going to Damascus for? To persecute more Christians. He was the one who was putting them in prison, consenting to their death and all of these things. He was there when Stephen was stoned to death. He held the jackets of those who threw the rocks. He was there. And yet Jesus confronted him and brought him to his knees. And when Saul had that confrontation with Jesus... And the day that he blinded him to the things of the world and opened up his spirit and his mind. It's an amazing thing. He was blind for a period of time. For about three days, he was blind. He could not see. But God was doing something inside of him so that he could totally see something different. What is God doing inside of you? You know, if we look at all the things around us, we miss the big picture. The big picture is this, Christ. Paul said, Galatians chapter 2, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. 
2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 9, the New American Standard Bible says, for we know, and he's talking about, Paul was talking about the body, this body that we live in, our earthly tent. And he says, for we know that at the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house, we groan. I, I, I'm, I'm learning more about that as I get older. You know, when I bend over to pick something up, sometimes I groan. I didn't do that when I was 20. It's like, oh, we groan. Longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put on, shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we are at home in this tent, we groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed in order that what is moral may be swallowed up by life. That word life, there's the word zoe, the God kind of life, eternal life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the spirit as a pledge. Therefore, everybody say therefore. When you see the word therefore, what is it there for? To make you pause and connect what was just said to what is getting ready to be said. Therefore, therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, this earthly body, this soma, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, also, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing unto the Lord. To be pleasing to the Lord. That's our ambition. That's our goal. That's our chief goal. What is your chief goal in life? Do your actions please the Lord? Does your conversation please the Lord? Does your thought life please the Lord? Everything that you offer, can you offer it unto the Lord? Those are the things we've got to ask ourselves the question. This is the way to live so that when we stand before him, we will hear him say those words that we long to hear. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys that are prepared for you. We live our lives that way. We work heartily as unto the Lord. If we live heartily as unto the Lord, if we walk in step with the Spirit as unto the Lord, if we do everything that we do with that thought in mind, it makes such a difference in our lives. How many of y'all have ever gotten your mind in gear or your, your mouth in gear before your mind has a chance to engage? Anybody? Am I the only one that's ever done that? Well, if you have it, get ready. You probably will. And we all have. But it behooves us to let this mind or this attitude, Philippians 2.5, be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. Who lived a life of service. Who served to the point of death. He was willing to lay down his life. What are we willing to do? What are we willing to offer unto the Lord? Are we in this thing 100%?
Because, see, in the kingdom of God, there isn't a 30%. There isn't a 80%. There isn't even a 99%. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. We don't ease into the kingdom of God. Jesus said if we're going to gain life, we've got to do what? Lose it. If we're going to be born again, we've got to die to ourselves. That's what's required. We have to get self out of the equation. And we offer ourself, our suke, our mind, our heart, everything we have unto the Lord. And that's where real life begins. And that's where it sustains. And that's where excellent things begin to happen in your life. You know, God is so much able to do so much more than we can ever imagine or think. And, and I'd love for some of you to, to, to accompany me on the mission field sometime and just see how this operates, even here. But especially on the mission field where there, there seems to be not quite so many distractions or so many doubts, but to see the power of God at work and to see people just believe just like that because they see that there's something greater and what we can ever imagine. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.